All right. Well, uh, welcome to BSing with Sean Kay. I'm your host, Sean Neese. Today, my guest is Christopher J. Smith. He is a spiritual teacher and is an uh, inspirational life coach and a health coach. He can be found on his website, silenttruth.co.uk, and also on his YouTube channel, Christopher J. Smith. He's here today to talk about the work he does and uh, the message he's trying to get across. So uh, welcome to sh- welcome to the show, Chris. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no problem. And uh, so what, what can you say about your YouTube channel and what is the main message of your videos? Yeah, my videos are, you could say, a sharing and a suggestion of something that's possible that that I've experienced myself. And the suggestion is that we are not essentially our thoughts, we are not our emotions, and we're not essentially the body. These are things that we have and that we can use, but oftentimes uh, these things tend to use us if we believe that that's all that we are. And uh, what I often point to in my videos and in the retreats that I do and in the talks that I do is coming back to a place that is beyond the body, beyond the mind and beyond the emotions. I sometimes refer to this as uh, the observer or a witness or awareness. And some people would even say that this is the soul or the spirit. Um, and that, that's what I'm always pointing to. And I point to that place because from my own experience, when we believe ourselves to only be the thoughts in the mind and the emotions and the body, we tend to live in a state of flux where one minute we feel good, the next minute we feel bad. Um, and we tend to suffer for believing that that's all that we are, just a bundle of thoughts, emotions, and the body. And it can create limitations in our life because we think that we are we are this limited sort of identity. And so what I'm always pointing to and what I'm always suggesting is that we go beyond that. Um, and that in this, in this observer state, um, we're completely free. It's a liberated state where we are not bound by the mind and the thoughts and the emotions and the body. And it's pure freedom to be in that place. It's, it's pure joy. There can be bliss there. And for me, it's just, um, it's just a, a beautiful experience of life, a completely new experience of life. So that's that's what my videos are. That's what I do in the retreats, and that's what I do in the talks. So uh, have you have you uh, found it hard to like stay in the state of being the observer, and you know, uh, stay in that state yourself? Or in the uh, I guess in the beginning, it can be it can seem quite challenging. What I would always say, what I often say, is that we are already we are always this observer. Um, but what happens is that we tend to, as we've grown up, we've become identified with thoughts and again, the body and the emotions to be who we are and, and the observer that we are gets entangled with that, or you could say the spirit that we are gets entangled with that. And, um, then the whole process is trying to break free from that. So in the beginning, it can be sometimes challenging to move out of that. But the key, <clears throat> the key is to, or what I found is the key is to be able to observe and become conscious of the different thoughts that come in the mind, different kind of like habitual thought patterns, um, the programs in the mind, noticing and becoming conscious of different emotions that come up. And the more that we do that, every time we become conscious of these thoughts and emotions, we automatically 
move, you could say, back into the observer state, you could say. We're always in that observer state, but every time we do it, it's like we come out of the mind and we're able to observe the mind from that observer state. And so the more that we do that, and we can do this through meditation and things as well, it can be very useful. The more that we do that, we get we start to become very grounded in the observer state, and it gets easier and easier. Um, but in the beginning, it seems like there is there needs to be an element of practice. Um, it's like bridging the gap between the, the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. The unconscious mind being this kind of awareness, and the conscious mind, oh, sorry, the opposite way around, actually. The unconscious mind being the thoughts, the conditioning, and then the conscious mind being more of this observer. And it's like um, a gap can be created so that there's space, there's like space from thoughts, space from emotions. And again, the more we do that, the more we get solidified in that, and it becomes very easy. And then when thoughts come up, like a negative thought of something or an unpleasant thought, we tend not to believe it. We tend to just observe it. And it's like we, we're suddenly unaffected by these negative thoughts that come up. It's like they can't get to us anymore. And the negative emotions can't get to us anymore. So it's a it's a beautiful place to be. And obviously, as you can imagine, it makes life so much more free and so much more easy to be in that place. And uh, how did you develop these beliefs? And uh, what how did you what motivated you to start making these videos? Well. First, firstly, I wouldn't use the, the word belief um, because for me, a belief is something that is based in thought. So again, this is a, it's a mind thing because um, when we say we believe something, we what we're saying is that we don't quite know that it's true, but we think that it might be true or we think that it might be the case. What I'm speaking of is coming from a direct experience, so it's more of a knowing rather than a belief. Um, so actually in this process of what I speak about, I'm actually pointing towards moving away from beliefs because, again, beliefs are something that, that happens in this kind of mind. Um, but I came to this these sort of uh, realizations myself through through many different things, one of the first things was, uh, was a number of years ago, I had salmonella poisoning, which is like a parasite in the stomach. And um, I was in the hospital for about three weeks. And what this parasite does is it won't allow your body to take on any kind of food or water. It kind of sucks all of the uh, the nutrients and the food out so that your body's not really taking anything on. So you begin to lose quite a lot of weight and over obviously over a three-week period, I lost a lot of weight. I lost about three or four stone or something in weight and I eventually had to go to the hospital and be put on like a drip. But what happened in that for me was that um, the, the first thing was that it was uncertain for me whether I would live through that because salmonella is something that can kill kill quite a number of people, especially if you're a bit more weak, like the elderly or the young, but it can kill a person. And I didn't seem to be getting better with it. It seemed to be just draining the life out of me. So I kind of had to confront, uh, you could say death. There was definitely death was on the mind, on my mind. And um, spending that time in the hospital alone over that period of time really allowed me to confront death. And I think this is a key point in, you could say, the spiritual process. Um, because when we really surrender to death, we, sur we tend to surrender the body and we surrender the mind. And the mind tends to slow down. The emotions tend to slow down and 
you become a bit more, your awareness becomes a bit more expansive. There are many people that have been on, you know, near-death experiences, you could say, or coming up towards death, and they have these experiences too. And you kind of relax, and in that relaxing, I kind of, you could say I had my first glimpse of something different, of a change in perception. And it really gave me some time to contemplate on the, you know, what is important in life and also all of these things that I'd been worrying about in my mind, all of a sudden they seemed insignificant when I was in that place of, you know, the possibility of, of death. But what also was happening, which I didn't realize at the time, but I now understand, uh, I understood later, is that when the body's basically going through this process of not being able to take on any food, which you could call fasting, um, the body starts to detoxify itself. And we have seven glands in the body, physical glands in the body, uh, real solid glands in the body. But these are also correlate with something called the seven chakras or the seven energy centers of the body, which some people might be aware of. And they, these energy centers can often be blocked and they can be blocked by toxins that kind of clog up the glands of the body through all the things that people eat and stuff like that. And because my body was detoxifying, being in that process, the energy was also being uh, allowed to move in the body. And that is part of the process as well of this kind of process of awakening it can be a very important part of that process. These energies beginning to wake up and move. Some people refer to it as the Kundalini energy. Um, and so, you know, through these two things that were kind of happening, it, it kind of sparked these realizations in me. And I think that's when a bit of a process was beginning. And then later on after that, when I recovered, um, I became very interested in meditation and different forms of teachings and stuff. Um, and I became very interested in quotes. I used to look at quotes very deeply and I just used to sit with a quote and kind of meditate upon that quote. And I found that I had profound shifts in my perception just from having realizations from quotes. It was a very powerful thing. So that kind of sparked this movement and this change in perception and then I kind of just carried on along that journey and it's just become, it's just continued and expanded and expanded and expanded. Um, and maybe there is no end to its depth. And, and, and uh, so uh, what does uh, like God mean to you? Like what's your idea of uh, like what God is? I know you've said in, in uh, one of your videos, you think the word's been misused. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, for me, what I feel like's happened is that because most people, again, are coming from this uh, identity of mind, we often try to filter everything that we see through the mind. Now, the issue with that is that the mind is very dualistic in its nature. So it tries to understand things with like logic. And when we're talking about something like God, it has often been, I would say, misunderstood by religions, you could say, and by people as being like a humanoid figure of some sort. Because people are trying to capture this thing called God with the mind. They're trying to understand it with the mind. And the mind can't grasp the infinite because the mind is finite. So something that is finite cannot grasp what is infinite. The only way I would say, from my own experience, to know God, this thing called God, if you want to use that word, you could call it many different things. You could call it energy. You could call it spirit. You could call it all different kinds of things. The words don't really matter, to be honest. Um, is that it is an experiential thing. It has to be experienced to be known. Um, it has to be seen. It can't be thought about. So for me, this experience of God is something that is in everything. 
it is everything. Um, it's in every one of us. It's in everything in life. It's the kind of underlining force that is behind everything, connects everything together. And when you come into this process of awakening and coming into this like observer that, that we are, we connect with that. When the glands of the body, the energy centers of the body open up and are fully open, we connect to that. So for me, that is what that is what God is, but it can't be understood by the mind through an idea or through a belief. It can only be understood and experienced through direct experience of it. So would you say uh, like organized religion has gotten in the way of true spirituality or? Um, it's funny because I was just having this conversation actually with a friend who's former of, of a part of a religion and um, for me, what what I've seen that seems to have happened again is that a lot of the religious texts um, and scriptures of all the different religions, I think at the the foundation of them comes from this truth which I'm talking about myself, and I think that this is what was actually uh, what they were actually speaking of. But I think that along the way, it seems to have got misinterpreted because such as like the Bible itself, let's use it using the Bible as an example. Often a lot of that is taken literally, whereas from my experience, most of it is actually allegory. It's it's a, a metaphor. The things in it are not meant to be taken literally. There, there's actually a deeper meaning to the things being said. They are like parables. They're like stories with a deeper meaning. Um, and when you look at the scriptures and di of different religions from that context, then the, it brings a whole new life and a whole new meaning to what they actually mean. But most of these religions have taken on a literal meaning to it. And again, they've tried to grasp it and understand it with the mind. And I think that's what's created a distortion. Now, whether that's been done accidentally or whether that's been done maybe on purpose to some degree, because maybe certain people wanted to keep this knowledge for themselves, who knows? But I think that it's the mind, looking at it from the perspective of the mind and looking at it literally that has caused this kind of distortion and yes, has kind of caused a block from people connecting to some real form of uh, spirituality, you could say. So do you think maybe like uh, we'll need to move on to like something new, like maybe since that's been misinterpreted, as you said, or I don't know. Um, we could maybe you could say not necessarily new in the sense that getting rid of these texts, but just understanding it from in a different way, from a more mm, a more truer perception of them. So we could still bring a lot of this old knowledge because the, a lot of the old knowledge is is powerful stuff and it's it's very insightful and very true from my experience of it. So we could bring that, but we need to bring that into a new way of doing things. Um, bringing that old knowledge forward and integrating it with what we have in the present and taking that into, you know, the future, you could say, to create something, something new, something that works for everybody, um, something that is available to everybody. You know, that, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah, because I, I also know, like, uh, a lot of religions about uh, suppressing uh, like natural desires too, like the people have, like, uh, I know like, a, like desire for sex or other things. Yeah. 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 It's, um, whatever, from my experience, whatever a person represses only comes back stronger. And this is, you can see this to be true when there's been many, 
um, cases of people in certain religions where they try to repress something. And then what happens is when they're repressing it all the time, that desire, you could say, or that energy needs some type of release. And then what happens is it ends up getting released in a wrong way, like somebody committing you know, some kind of wrong act, you could say, against another person. So it's it's a it's definitely not a healthy thing to do to repress these things. It's about balance for me. It's about balance. Um, I think the whole existence works in a state of balance. So things need to be expressed to a certain degree, um, but not overly expressed, and they should not be repressed. There needs to be this middle ground, and definitely sexuality is something that. There the needs to be this middle ground. If it is overexpressed or overemphasized, then somebody may become addicted to sex and all they think about is sex and they become governed by that. If it's repressed, then they become fearful of sex and they're trying to suppress it and they may say bad things about it. So it's about having that, that healthy balance. That's That's how I feel about it. Uh, so what can you say about the awareness coaching that you do? The awareness coaching, again, is about pointing towards, again, this observer that I keep speaking about and bringing people to a realization of that. And the way that we can do that is we explore who we are in relation to thought, who we are in relation to emotion and body. We can use certain practices. We can explore and have certain, uh, explore certain insights about that and try to come to a clarity about, again, what we are and, and what we're not. For instance, we... As we've grown up, we are all we've all been subjected to, you could say, conditioning. And this conditioning is like learnt behaviour. So maybe, for instance, some people have this nagging thought in the mind that pops up all the time, which says, "You're never good enough. You'll never you'll never be able to achieve this, or you'll never be able to achieve that." That kind of negative self-talk that comes up. Now, we, what happens is that people and usually believe that it's them that's speaking, that that's, their, that's who they are that's making that chatter. But what it really is, it's a program that's been uh, somehow been given to us as we've been growing up. So maybe a person's mother or father used to tell them that you'll never be good enough, you'll never achieve this. And so that, that becomes like an imprint on the mind. And what we know, we know that this is true scientifically as well, because through the study of neuroplasticity, um, which is a relatively newish field, it's been around for about 15 years and to do with uh, the brain and how the brain, how certain neural pathways are formed in the brain um, as a result of the stimulus that we are given from the outside world. So again, if a, if a mother or father told you from a young age that you'll never achieve this, you'll never achieve that, if you believe that to be true, then this creates an imprint in the mind. Certain neural pathways are developed. And then when you come to doing some kind of, when you're in a situation and you're trying to achieve something, what might happen is that this thought will come up and say, oh, you'll never be able to achieve this. And then if we, again, if we believe that, then we probably won't be able to achieve what we want to achieve because we'll have this self-doubt. Now, that is just one small example. Psychologists tell us that the average person has something like 30,000 thoughts every day. So, <laughs> so that's a lot of thoughts. And most of these thoughts, they've, they've found that something like 95% uh, of these thoughts are repetitive thoughts. 
They're not new thoughts. They're not creative new thoughts. They're actually just repetitive, useless thoughts that keep coming up. And I would say that these are thoughts that are this, this form of conditioning. And these thoughts sabotage um, people's results to try and achieve something. It sabotages people's happiness. It sabotages people's perception on the world and perception on themselves. And so it causes all kinds of issues. So through the awareness coaching, we look to disidentify and uh, kind of uh, see beyond this conditioning so that this conditioning can fall away. And the more that that conditioning falls away, what is left is a more clearer, a more clearer and precise and focused mind. And then more of this natural awareness that we are gets, uh, is able to shine through, is able to be shine through the mind, you see. So that's, that's really what the awareness uh, coaching is, is pointing to and is, is uh, trying to achieve with that. Uh, so I, I know like in uh, some of your videos, you talked about like dealing with negative people and handling criticism. Uh, you were saying something like we don't necessarily need to avoid negative people. Or... Yeah, because, again, from my experience is that everything is just an influence. Everything around us in life is an influence, whether it be the stars through astrology, the influence of the planets, whether it be um, a boss that's saying certain things to us, whether it be our parents, whether it be in a relationship, whether it be a circumstance or a situation that happens, they're all forms of influence. But to what degree that influences us depends upon us. It depends upon our reactions towards it. And the reactions are usually these thoughts. And again, through conditioning, we've often been taught to react to things in a certain way. So let's say somebody, let's say, I don't know, a person loses their job. We've all been more or less taught that when, you, when that happens, you should feel pretty sad. But of course, there's another way to look at that. When one door closes, another door opens. So it could just be an opportunity, you see. So... Everything is just influence. So if we are surrounded by a person that you could say is a negative, pessimistic person, that doesn't mean that we have to get away from that person necessarily. It means that we just have to watch our own reactions towards that person. We just have to watch how much that person uh, is influencing us. And that, again, depends upon us, depends upon our reaction towards them. And again, I've found that the more that we come into this observer state, this true, this true natural state that we are, very little can influence us without our own permission. So it's a, it's a beautiful place to be. And um, if we stay grounded in that, then we move through life uh, a lot more effortlessly and things don't have as much of an impact on us, if, if at all. Uh, all right. So um, I know you were talking about like a like a spirituality being interpreted too much from the mind. Uh, what is your view about like theocracies? Do you think like that is too much of a mind uh, interpretation of uh, like spirituality or religion to like put religion into law? Or ah uh, yeah, like religion and politics coming together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um. Again, it's, I think it goes back to what I said before with the religion is that, again, if it's coming from a perspective of, of mind and misinterpretation, then I think, again, these things can become distorted. And you see, the mind is a very rigid thing. Um, if something is believed, then it usually tends to stick by that belief. And sometimes a person will stick by a belief or a state will stick by a belief, even though maybe that's not the right thing. Um, and I think that certainly bringing 
religion from this kind of uh, rigid point of view, this mental point of view, I think can maybe sometimes do damage to a society if it's based upon that. Um, I mean, there's so many laws and regulations and things in place that it's be, it's almost been made to be very complicated when life really is very simple. You know, if I could say one thing about something to follow as, as a rule, if you could say, it would be as simple as <laughs> do no harm to another. You know, don't infringe upon somebody else's rights. Your rights uh, end where another person's begins. You know, and if we just stuck by that alone, then that to me would would cover all eventualities. You know, so um, I think that because again, the the society has been based upon the mind, and the mind is a very complex thing. We've made the mind's made things too complex, so it's complicated everything. Rather than simplifying things, if things were more, more simple, then I think we would definitely things would definitely uh, move in a smoother direction. So yeah, that, that that's how I feel about that. I think that um, it's certainly not a good idea for a person let's say a political person figure to have their own beliefs and ideologies affect their decisions to do certain things. Beliefs should be put to one side when it comes to doing something rather than bringing their own beliefs into something, you know. And uh, what can you say about some of the videos you've made about relationships and like how they're more successful if people are not too attached to one another. Yeah, it's, um, again, the mind comes, when we, again, when we're solidly in this identification of mind, we, we, we believe that we are incomplete. And we've often been taught in society as we've grown up, we've had this kind of conditioning that, you know, you must have a partner, um, that you must be complete in life. And to be complete in life, you must have certain things in your life. You must have money, a good job. You must have a family. You must have a partner or a wife or a husband. Um, and these are just these are just all ideas. But because we've bought into those ideas, we've kind of, we've come to believe that we are, kind of, uh, we are empty in some way and we need to be filled with some, we need something to fill that void. And a relationship is often something somebody has to fill that void. So I feel that a lot of people get into relationships from the wrong perspective. They get into it from a place of need rather than from a place of, uh, enjoyment, you could say. Um, sometimes people are very desperate to get a partner because they they're scared to be alone because of because of this fear of of, of being kind of incomplete. And it can create a lot of problems. It can create a lot of damage because when you've got two people that come together that feel that they're incomplete and that feel that when they come together, they become complete, what you have is you can have this kind of battle that happens where a per either of those people try to dominate the relationship. And this is what happens when we get a lot of conflict in relationship is that what's happening is that the other person is trying to dominate the other person, is trying to get that person to do the things that they want them to do and to live up to their expectations um, of what they expect in a relationship, which, again, expectations come from the mind. You know, an expectation might be a person wanting a relationship and saying that this person has got to tick all of these different boxes. They've got to have a good job. They've got to have a certain amount of income coming in. They've got to be attractive. They've got to be funny. 
it's like people go into a relationship beforehand with all these kind of boxes that need to be ticked. Um, and again, the issue with that is that, again, when people come together, that person, it's impossible for that other person to live up to that all of the time. And that's when the conflict starts. So I would suggest that the best way to come into a relationship is first to come to a, a, a more truer clarity about our own self and, um, and to come into a relationship without expectations or without so many expectations and to kind of let things blossom naturally and to not have a kind of attachment or a need that this person needs to fulfill all of my desires and needs to make me complete. And that is, for me, the best way to approach a relationship. When, because when you get two people that come together that are complete in themselves, then you have a relationship that runs more smoothly because now you've not got this battle for the other person to try and control that person. You know, so things are a lot more smooth and obviously that creates a much better relationship, a much more true relationship. And then everything's good from that perspective. And I think uh, Osho had a quote about that, like about how like uh, to, to, to truly love is like to not possess. Like if you pick, you can admire the flower, but if you pick it up, you know, it's going to die. So you'd like, yeah. 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 That's a beautiful quote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so true. It's so true. It's, um, it's seeing the sacredness in our life and not trying to possess it. One of the highest qualities that I've found of kind of uh, deeper spiritual understanding is to be unattached to things. Now, that doesn't mean that you become kind of cold towards things, uh, quite the opposite. You embrace the whole of life, whether that be a partner or whether it be anything in your life, you embrace it and honor it to its fullest, but you have no attachment towards it. You know, when it's time for that thing to go, you let it go. When something comes, you are happy that it's there and you, you honor it, but then when it's time to go, you let it go. We often suffer for our attachments to things. You know, we don't want to lose this job or we don't want to lose this money or we don't want to lose this car or we're scared that this relationship's going to break up. And we often suffer for our attachments to things. And when we let all of those attachments go, we tend to get this kind of abundance of things that just comes into our life because we're not now trying to possess anything anymore. Things are allowed, it's like we're creating space for new things to come in and out of our life uh, more effortlessly and it's a it's a completely different experience to be in that truth it's a it's a beautiful place to be and uh so what what's your uh opinion about like uh the relationship between like science and spirituality and like how can they like how they can uh coexist with each other i feel like um that science is uh, is starting to now validate a lot of what of what's been said for thousands of years, you know, from the ancient cultures. The funny thing is, is that the ancient cultures, especially in in India, the Vedic cultures, they always saw everything that they were speaking about as a science, and it was more of a, an inner science. And they had the science of astrology and and. Ayurveda, which is like herbal remedies and medicines, and also obviously the inner sciences of yoga and, um, you know, how to control the body, control the mind, control the emotions, control the energies of the body. Um, and science just seems to be val uh, validating all of that. You know, there's so many studies that come out showing, you know, we now know that we can see the human aura. Uh, the, the, there's certain devices that they can use to see the human aura. Um, again, what I spoke about earlier through neuroplasticity, 
It was once thought that the brain was a fixed thing and that genetics are a fixed thing and that we basically just get left with those things and that's what we're stuck with. But what they're finding now is that actually our DNA and brain is constantly changing in accordance with the stimulus uh, that's happening around us and the stimulus that's happening within us, you know, through our thoughts and through our beliefs and through our emotions. That that's that that our body is a malleable thing that changes in accordance with that. So if we do the right things, the best things that we can do, then we're going to have the best body. We're going to have the best mind. And therefore, we're going to have the best experience of life possible. So it's exciting for me to see science validating all of this stuff because what science does, what I feel science does, is that it gives the logical mind a reason to now see that these things are true. It kind of convinces the logical mind that what's that the mystical sciences of what was probably understood by more of the right brain or the more intuitive mind is actually true. And I see that we've got this marrying of the two things. You know, if we look at like the East, the Eastern cultures were very, you could say, right-brained, very intuitive, had the inner sciences. And then we had, and then we've got the Western world, which is focused more on the outside world and more on outside technologies. And it's coming from more of a left brain perspective, you could say, a logical perspective. And what I see happening is that these two things are starting to come together. They're starting to merge. And it's indicative for me of what's happening in the brain as well. You know, we again, we've got the, the right hemisphere of the brain, the left hemisphere of the, the brain. And we've got the corpus callosum in the middle, which connects them together. And through things like meditation... And having these deeper realizations about things, what's happening is that the brain is starting to work more in sync together. I mean, we've all heard this kind of thing of when it's been said that we only use 10% of our brain and all this kind of stuff. Well, that 10% that most of us have been using all our life is this just this logical thought-based part of the brain. There's a whole 90% of the brain that has not really been, that people have not been using. But what they've found through meditation when they've tested the brain is that through certain meditations, the whole brain starts to work in sync together. Um, and again, that is to me indicative of whatever's happening within is happening outside as well. So the more that the East and West come together, then that means the more that the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain opens up, the more intelligent we become and the more that we're ultimately going to move forward as a society, uh, as a world, into a, a whole new direction um, where maybe technology and mysticism, you could say, come together to create something that's going to be mm, something so exciting. Yeah, and I think it's good to like have a balance of both because like if if people are too uh, logical, there's a lot of things you know like compassion or uh, empathy and and stuff like that that isn't necessarily you know logical, but it's good things to have and everything. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, again this <clears throat> I always say that the left part of the brain, this logical part of the brain, it's kind of like based upon mathematics. So it sees things as like mathematics and probability. So when we look at things logically, we kind of weigh things up. We say, well, if that happens, then maybe this will happen and then that will happen. So we try and look at things in a, in a logical way in terms of probability and mathematics. But a lot of that is based upon assumptions. You know, we don't really know. We just think we know. Whereas the right side of the brain is more intuitive you could say and it can see the bigger picture of things and um, the left brain is seeing more things as separate it sees things in parts you could say the right brain sees again it sees things connected and again when you marry those two things together you've got 
a super intelligence, you know, where things just come from a whole different level. I mean, even such geniuses like Einstein, he used to say that a lot of his creativity came when he was actually not thinking, when he was in a state of what you could call no mind, what they call in the East, no mind. And, um, and that these kind of insights would just pop out of nowhere. And I'm sure we've all experienced that before where, you know, we're not thinking about anything in particular. And all of a sudden, these kind of like insights just seem to pop out of nowhere. So it's a good thing because that means that there's going to be new creativity that's going to come forward and that new things that we could probably never imagine or perceive of with just a logical brain are going to happen. So it's, it's, a, very good, it's a very good thing. Uh, what could you say about the Collaborative Consciousness uh, UK retreat that's coming up and what's been your uh, experience with that? Yeah, I mean, we did a retreat uh, in August and that was the Cascade Mountain Retreat in Washington uh, in uh, my friend Nico's neck of the woods, you could say. And it was, it was a good success. Nico, he focuses upon... Uh, tarot and astrology is a Reiki practitioner and uh, I focus upon more upon meditation and focusing more upon the kind of introspective and inner awakening you could say so we got a good response from the Cascade Retreat as soon as we did it we got a big response from people and people wanted us to come to the UK and do a retreat there as well so we've set up a, re a retreat in the north of England in the Peak District. That's going to be on the 24th of October to the 27th. And then we're also looking to set up, um, we're setting up a tour uh, to do kind of a day event in Manchester, Birmingham and London. And again, Nico will be talking about astrology and how, and energy and how that affects uh, fate in our lives and manifestation and I'm going to be speaking about the again the inner process the inner awakening and that's what I love to do that that's that's my passion that's something that that uh, that excites me because I've seen what benefits it's had for me and the the things that are so uh, that I've experienced that can't really be put into words and and I can see that through my own uh, experience of that, I can see that it's possible for every human being. It's possible for everybody. And not only is it possible, it's something that everybody uh, should have. Everybody should have a, a life where they can experience bliss, when they can experience joy, and um, you know, not have to be in this world with so many limitations on their potential. Of course, to one sense, that's part of the journey, but we can awaken out of that whenever we choose to. And, and so that's what I focus on, and that gets me really excited for the retreats. Now, what do you think is the most uh, effective form of meditation? You see, there are different processes you could say of awakening oftentimes we are we are so engrossed with the things around us of the outside world you could say our attention is so fixed on that that in the beginning what we need is something that will take our attention away from that and bring it more into the body and the best kind of practices for that are kind of working on the breath just simply working with the breath because that gets us in touch more with the body and it retracts our attention away from the things outside of us and allows us to come more into the body. And then when we've become more grounded in the body, then this is when we can move to the next stage of becoming, of coming more into this observer point of perception, which I speak of. And so we can work with practices and, you know, come to certain realizations 
which can move us into this observer state, you could say, or our true self. And to break free from the body and break free from the mind and break free from the emotions. And then there can come another level where then all of a sudden this kind of subject-object split kind of dissolves. And then there is no more an observer and a body and a thoughts and emotions. Then they all become one thing. So... Obviously, there are various practices for various stages like this, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint one particular practice. But I, there are many forms. There are beautiful practices from yoga. There are beautiful practices from pranayama. There are beautiful practices from kundalini yoga. There are beautiful practices from zen, uh, mindfulness, there's so many beautiful practices, and obviously each meditation serves a certain purpose and function. Um, but for me, what brought me to the quickest path of that, you could say, is, again, this kind of observation of thoughts, observation of thought and emotions. So being able to just sit quietly, to be able to, just focus on the breathing for a while and then to become aware and just to observe and watch thoughts, not to try and change thoughts, not to judge them, but just to simply watch and witness what goes through the mind. Just witness when thoughts come, thoughts go, when emotions come, emotions go, when sensations come in the body, sensations go. And again, the more that we do that and just observe and just witness, we get more in contact with that, that truth of the observer that we are. <clears throat> so that for me is a very, very powerful one. But we can, we can really approach awakening from three different places, you could say. One, we can approach awakening through the body. Two, we can approach awakening through the mind. And three, we can approach awakening through direct experience of the spirit, you could say. So there are various various methods, and I'll look to work with all three of those methods. <clears throat> so uh, what's your opinion if like people use uh, like psychedelics or other drugs as a way to have a spiritual experience? Do you think it's an authentic experience? Or? Um. Well, I've used, I've experimented myself with um, certain substances, um, certain plants uh, like uh, ayahuasca and um, also salvia divinorum. And these things definitely have a place, um, I feel. They've definitely got some place in a spiritual process. And I've, oft, I've termed before that sometimes these things can be like they can be like, you could say, maybe a spiritual shortcut sometimes. So, for instance, something like ayahuasca, it can be a very powerful, strong experience, and it can make us confront certain issues uh, visually and directly. And we can very quickly resolve those issues within an ayahuasca ceremony. And um, so it can, it, sometimes those things can speed that process up. So they definitely have a place, but we must go towards whatever we feel drawn towards. Some people will feel drawn towards uh, using mushrooms and using ayahuasca or using salvia. And it will work for them. It will be something that will move them further, you could say, in the spiritual process. But is it necessary? No, it's not ultimately necessary. It's just another tool to be used. Um, we can do that ourselves by introspectively looking and looking at life and observing life, looking at ourselves and observing ourselves. And again, looking at what we are and what we're not. 
looking at the forms of condition and whether we're these forms of conditioning or not. Um, so they're not uh, something that is necessarily needed, but they definitely have a role and have a place. And of course, many indigenous cultures have used these things for, for thousands of years and have had tremendous uh, experiences um, and shifts in perception by using them. So they're definitely something that's, that's valid. But again, we must go towards what we feel feel more drawn towards. So uh, do, you, do you find it hard to always uh, live by the advice you give in your videos? Um, you see, for me, I wouldn't be able to share these things unless it was a constant experience for me. So everything that I share, I can only share it if it is something that is that I've ex that I've experienced and that is a constant experience for me, something that I've overcome, you could say. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't maybe feel the uh, I wouldn't feel to share those things because I would not feel that I've overcome them myself you see so it's kind of like somebody it's like somebody trying to teach somebody how to be a personal trainer but yet they've not they don't do any training themselves or they haven't got much knowledge themselves you know you only share I think the most responsible way to share stuff is only when you've got the inner experience of it um, so when I speak about these things in videos and I tell people that it's possible to be in, in, in a state of joy on a constant basis and in bliss on a constant basis, I'm saying that because it's my experience of it. And um, I know through me going through those experiences and through those processes that it's possible for any human being to be able to, to do the same. And it, that gives me confidence for that. And, um, you know, that way I'm able to pass on those kind of insights and, uh, you know, I, I put it out there and, and it's up to people how they receive it and if they want to take those things further. So uh, do you have uh, anything planned uh, in the near future besides the uh, retreat you mentioned and the uh, tour? Like what's next for your work? Well, I was uh, I was actually on a radio show last night and um with the with a woman and man from uh new mexico and they actually want us to come out and do a retreat in new mexico which is going to be pretty cool and it looks like the looks like they're wanting to plan that for april next year but yeah for definite you know me and me and nico um are going to be doing we're going to be doing a lot of retreats and you know we definitely feel drawn to doing that and we enjoy it we enjoy meeting people we enjoy connecting with people we enjoy that kind of sense of community and bringing people together and we enjoy sharing what has worked for us in the hope that maybe it will work for others um so we're going to carry on with that we're going to be doing lots more of that in the future and that's only going to build and build and build and also on top of that i'm I'm in the process and I've been in the process of, of setting up, um, I've got another YouTube channel, Tip Top Health TV, which is based more on the bodily level of things, based more on the herbal, uh, on fitness, on wellness. And um, that is something that I'm setting up as well. I'm setting up a, a business with that and to push that as well, because I want to bring all aspects together of mind, body and spirit and bring it together as one package for people. Um, one thing that is linked together because I feel that it is all linked together. It's all one thing. And I feel that there is a way to harmonize everything so that there is, again, this complete harmony between mind, body, and spirit together. So that's that's what I feel drawn to do, and, and I'm going to keep, keep on with that and um, keep on with the retreats. So uh, any final thoughts or things you'd like to say? Would you like to plug your website? Sure, yeah. People can um, reach me through the website, which is uh, www.silenttruth.co.uk. 
Um, you can find me at my YouTube channel, which is Christopher J. Smith, if you just type in Christopher J. Smith. Or you can also type in consciousness 000, so it's three zeros, consciousness 000. And also there's, if you type in Tip Top Health TV, that's the channel that I've just been speaking about. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook at Christopher J. Smith as well. So yeah, um, I'm very happy to speak with you, Sean. I thank you for inviting me on and um, for allowing me to share this with everybody. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, Yeah, it's been good having you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, all right, so uh, that does it for this episode of BSing with Sean K. Uh, I should have more episodes coming soon, so uh, stay tuned.